Good morning. As Dexter had said, I'm Scott Ashman. I'm an elder at the church. Um, we're looking at the book of Philippians, chapter 2 today. Um, but as we start today, I, I want to ask you to do something kind of uncomfortable. Um, I want you to take out a pencil and pen, pencil or pen, writing instrument, sharpie, crayon, whatever you have. Take out a piece of paper. A lot of you have uh, bulletins. Um, this is not the uncomfortable part yet, okay? Um, if you don't have a uh, pencil or pen, you, I'll grudgingly say you can do this on your cell phone, but uh, you probably don't need to. Um, okay, here's the uncomfortable part. I want you to write down your present age on that piece of paper. Now, that's uncomfortable because you're afraid someone's going to look over your shoulder and see how old you really are. I get it. Okay, has everyone done that? Written down your present age. Okay, now we're going to do a mathematical exercise. You're going to take your present age and add one and write it next to your present age. Okay, very good. Good, good. Um, that is the age you will be on your next birthday, right? Now, some of you, that might be tomorrow. Some of you, that might be a whole year from now. Now, that wasn't so bad. You have it on your piece of paper. I get it. Um, now, as you're looking, just look down. Don't look at me. Look down at your piece of paper and look at that second number. And listen to me as I ask a question. How do you feel about the possibility that you may never get to that number? Ooh. Does that scare you? Does that depress you? What regrets would you have if you never get to your next birthday? Another way of asking that question is, is there anything in your life that is worth dying for? And what I mean by that is, is there anything in your life that is so important that you would risk not seeing your next birthday? Think about that for a second. Is there anything in your life that is so important to you that you would willingly risk your life not seeing your next birthday? I've been asking that question a lot recently as I've been studying this passage. Would I be willing to jeopardize my life? Or for what would I willing to be willing to do that for? Now, I would hope that if a criminal was in my house with a gun... It was going to kill some, one of my family members that I would heroically jump in front of the gun and take the bullet for them. But what if I had time to think about it? Would I willingly take a step that I knew could result in ending my life? For example, if someone said to me, there is a great opportunity to bear witness to discouraged ISIS members in northern Syria, would I go on that trip? Probably not. Some of you know Pastor Bill Devlin. He, he was an elder at our church uh, quite a few years ago at this point in time. He's now a pastor in Manhattan. But his ministry takes him to some uh, very odd places in the world. This, this month he was in Cuba. Last month he was in Gaza and Sudan. These are places that are not very friendly to Christians. And, um, and Bill has a ministry with people in some of these hard places on, on earth. And he'll write things on Facebook like this. He'll say, Headed to Iraq, hoping to witness to the head of ISIS. Pray for me. You say, 
Now, I wish my response when I read that Facebook post was to say, boy, praise God for his faith. That's not usually my response. My response is usually something like, this man is crazy. I mean, we're going to read about him in the newspapers one of these days. But what I really should be asking myself is, do I really believe that the God who calls me can actually protect me to do the things that he's called me to do? Do I really believe that eternal life is so real, or am I clinging to this life on this earth because of my own unbelief? Well, today we're going to be looking at two men who literally put their lives on the line because there was something in their life that was worth dying for. So we're reading the Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 2. And I'll have it on the screen. You can also open your Bibles. This is Philippians 2, verses 19 to 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with his father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because he heard because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So the outline that I'll be speaking on is, first, examples of risking it all. Second, characteristics of those who risk it all. And third, following the one who gave it all. So examples of risking it all. The two examples that Paul gives in this letter are Timothy and Epaphroditus. We probably know more about Timothy. Timothy was a a young man that probably became a Christian Uh, during Paul's first missionary journey, and then during his second missionary journey, when Paul visited his hometown of Lystra, uh, took him along to be his assistant, to be his understudy. And Timothy um, went with Paul on the second missionary journey and the third missionary journey. Uh, Eventually, Paul appointed him to be the pastor of the growing church in Ephesus. And when Paul was arrested and was facing execution in Rome, Timothy came to Paul's side. And ministered to him. Now, Paul lists Timothy as one of the authors as he's writing the, this letter to the Philippians, as well as his letters from prison uh, to the Colossians and to Philemon. Uh, Timothy was in, in Rome ministering to Paul as he was unsure of his future, whether he would live or whether he would, he would die. Do you think Timothy might have been risking his life just a little bit? I mean, the, the emperor was Nero. Nero was ramping up his persecutions of Christians, choosing to execute more as time went along. And here was Timothy, you know, 
being a, a minister to probably the, you know, the greatest and well-known Christian of the world, Paul. If Nero decided to start executing Christians, Timothy would have been close to the top of the list. But he was willing to risk his life for the sake of this gospel. Now, Epaphroditus, we know a little bit less about Epaphroditus. Um, his name means belonging to Aphrodite, who was the Greek goddess of love and beauty. Uh, so clearly his parents were not Jewish, his parents were not Christians. Uh, there's been a lot of speculation that Epaphroditus was a retired uh, Roman military officer because a lot of them were uh, being sent to Philippi after they retired from the military. Um, Paul also refers to him as his fellow soldier. And we read about uh, Epaphroditus, five syllables long, nice long name, uh, in uh, Paul's letters to the Philippians, as also the Colossians and Philemon. Look, seems like he's originally from the town of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. Um, Paul writes to the Colossians, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. And we see him writing to the Philippians and says, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So just like Timothy, Epaphroditus was one who was out risking his life for the sake of the gospel. And I've been looking at my own life and my own faith and, and journaling about this. And sometimes journaling just helps me to get my thoughts together. And this is what I wrote in my journal. I said, am I willing to put it all on the line for the sake of Jesus? I think the short answer is no. I would like to think that under certain God-ordained circumstances, I would be willing. But if that's the case, why am I so careful in my life to protect myself and my interests? I guess the answer seems obvious. Life is good. I've come to enjoy this life. The daily rhythms of eating and working and resting and fellowship with other believers. Modern 21st century life is pretty convenient with lots of leisure time. The other answer is my family. I wouldn't want to deprive them of, well, me. <laughs> I love Jean. I love my daughters. I wouldn't want to have to see them go through grief and suffering and mourning my death, uh, even though I know that they will one day unless they pass first. So those are some of the struggles I've been thinking through in my own life. You know, there are times, I, as I thought about it, that I, I feel like I really was risking my own life. Uh, for example, I drive on the Google Expressway every day. So... That's a pretty good sign that there's something in my life that I'm willing to risk death for, uh, my job. Um, but when we moved from the nice, safe suburb of Paoli to our not-so-safe neighborhood of Logan many years ago, um, with a higher murder rate, drugs all around, we felt like we were really taking our life into our hands. And there have been some close calls along the way, to be honest. Uh, but God has been faithful and has protected us every step of the way. And yet, as I get older, sometimes I wonder, why am I less apt to take risks than I was when I was in my 20s? As we think about this topic of risking your life for Jesus, I want to suggest that it doesn't start there. You know, you don't just wake up one day and say, you know, I think I'm going to move to North Korea and become a missionary. You know, you don't start there. That's, that's not the starting place. Um, instead, you yield your life more and more, giving yourself more to Jesus and getting away from your own life of serving yourself. So we're going to look at some of the characteristics that we see of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And I want to say that these are characteristics that God works in people's lives through his spirit. It's not 
a work of the flesh to make yourself more like this, but instead it's a, it's a work of the spirit. So characteristics of those who risk it all. The first one we see is compassion. We see this in Timothy, and I'm calling this a genuine concern for the welfare of others. Paul said, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So Timothy's life was marked by a genuine concern for other people. You know, if you look at around your life, that's pretty rare. I mean, there are people who seem to have a lot of concern for other people, but probably when you look under the surface, a lot of times it's kind of self-serving. I'm thinking of politicians who have a great concern and, and feel our pain, but the reality is many times the concern is really somewhat self-serving to help them become more popular and get reelected. But before I cast all the, the stones at politicians, you have to look at my own life as well. Am I genuinely concerned for the welfare of others? Or does somehow I do that because it makes me feel good about myself? Sometimes we have to think about what's, what are our own motives. But with Timothy, Paul says he had a genuine concern for the welfare of others. Timothy was a living outworking of what Paul was already writing about to the Philippians uh, in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, where he said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So Timothy is a, per a perfect picture of what Paul was talking about earlier in the chapter. Well, the second characteristic that we see of Timothy is what I'm calling a consistent character. And I'm defining that as unchanging values in changing circumstances. Paul writes in verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me with the gospel. And that idea of proven worth has the sense of uh, going through trials and becoming stronger with each one of them. Timothy was a man who was willing and had repeatedly shown himself to be willing to risk his life for the sake of the gospel. Timothy was with Paul as he was getting kicked out of Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth by angry mobs. And later on, when Timothy was the pastor of the church in Ephesus, um, that was a risky place to be because Ephesus was a, was a pagan city where mobs would be angry at Christians for not worshiping Artemis, the great god of uh, fertility, where there was a great temple in, Artem in Ephesus. So in changing circumstances, God works a consistent character in us. Matt Franchetti last week said that true character is measured when no one else is watching. You know, being the same person on Monday morning as you were Sunday at church. Timothy was an illustration of what Paul wrote about in verses 14 and 15 of chapter 2, where he said, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Well, the third characteristic I see of these men is cooperation, and you see this in Epaphroditus, and I'm calling cooperation a willingness to let others lead for the sake of the greater good. Paul says about Epaphroditus, he says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. 
you look at those words, brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier. You know, this was a man who was not out to uh, make a name for himself. He was happy to serve in cooperation with the Apostle Paul. You know, Epaphroditus was not one of the guys who was, was going to start his own ministry called Epaphroditus Ministries. People probably couldn't pronounce it anyway. But, um, but he was not likely to split his church and open up a, a storefront church like so many have done in, here in Philadelphia. He just wanted to give his life for the sake of the gospel uh, to, his, uh, to whoever he could. He was willing to cooperate with Paul um, to do what it took. And that's a rare quantity because all of us, at one point or other, want to get recognition for what we do. Epaphroditus is an um, example of what Paul was talking about in chapter 1, verse 15, where Paul said, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. See, some people want to make gospel ministry a big competition. You know, if another church is doing well, that means our church isn't doing well. But that's not how it is. The kingdom of God is, is, is wide-ranging, far greater than what anything we can see. And it's not about competition. It's about cooperation. The next characteristic I see in these men is commitment. We see this in Epaphroditus, starting in verse 26. He says, For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So the backstory here is that Epaphroditus uh, was a member of the church in Philippi. And the Philippian church heard that Paul was in prison, and they were concerned about him. So they took up an offering, and they wanted to deliver an offering to Paul for his uh, care while he was in Rome. Not only that, but they wanted to send someone who would stay with Paul and minister to him to find out, you know, until the point where he was either executed or was released. So Epaphroditus volunteered for this, this duty, apparently. Um, he set off on an 800-mile journey. You can kind of see to the right is Philippi, to the left is Rome. Um, probably would have taken six weeks. This is not a, you know, a short plane flight like we think of it today. Uh, probably a six-week journey over land and over sea to get to Rome. At some point, either on his journey or after he got to Rome, he became ill, you know, deathly ill, to the point of almost losing his life. And it would be easy for Epaphroditus to say, look, you know, I tried. Uh, I got so sick I couldn't continue and just turned home. You know, that would, no one would have blamed him if he had just said, I gave it my best shot, but I gave up. But that wasn't the case with Epaphroditus. He's, he hung in there. He had been given a job to do, and he was going to complete it because it wasn't his life that was important to him. It was the, it was the gospel ministry. It was the serving the apostle Paul. You know, God doesn't grade on a curve. You know, God doesn't say, well, just do the best you can. You know, God expects obedience. I mean, God is a holy God, um, and he does expect obedience, and we all fall short. We know that. But the example that um, Epaphroditus really makes me think of is what Paul describes in chapter 2, verse 8, and he's describing Jesus, where Paul says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Obedience to death, even death on a cross. And the question is, are you and I 
willing to take our obedience to Christ that far, or do we go this far and no further? Well, the final characteristic I want to point out in these men is the characteristic of courage. And I'm calling that the ability to do something in the face of fear. Paul writes in verse 29 and 30, So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. In order to be willing to follow Christ, we have to be willing to face our fears. And fears are real, right? I mean, we all experience fear, and there's no point in denying that. Some of you have, you know, a clinical anxiety where you experience, uh, you know, panic attacks, sleeplessness, racing heart, heart rates. But all of us experience fear at some level. Fear of losing control, fear of crime, fear of people thinking badly about us, fear of um, germs, sickness, fear of death. All of us that have these fears... And we have to say, what are we going to do with the fears that we have? Am I going to give in to my fears, or am I going to continue to follow Christ through those fears? Epaphroditus is an example of what Paul was talking about in his, his own life in chapter 1, where he said, For I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, there's that word, now and always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You know, I remember the first time I ever heard those words, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I was not yet a believer, and I went to a college-age ministry at a church, and they were singing. They were singing, Christ in me is to live. To die is to gain. Some of you know that from a while ago. Christ in me is to live. To die is to gain. And they were smiling. And I, I looked around, and I was kind of mouthing the words, but I was scared to death of death. You know, and these people, fellow college students, were smiling and saying, to die is to gain. And I thought, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> you know? Um, well, now it's 35 years later. Um, I think I understand what they were singing about. That's a good thing. But I have to ask my question: the question, how much do I really believe that? Do I really believe that to die is to gain, which is what Paul said? Am I ready to face death if need be? Of course, the, the key to understanding this is believing that for those who put their faith in G Jesus Christ, this life is really only a prelude, a short prelude to something much greater, eternal life, a glorious life forevermore. And if I really believe that I have assurance of eternal life, then risking, risking everything in this life, which I know I'm going to lose someday anyway, for the sake of eternal life, doesn't seem like that much of a risk anyway. When you think about it, you know, how much of a risk is it really, even if we were to lose this life and gain heaven? But do we believe it? 
See, that's really the question, do we believe it? And that's one of the key takeaways I want to take for today. Um, God never commands us to take risks. He never explicitly says, go out and take risks. Be a daredevil. I, I can't find that anywhere in the scriptures. But what I do see is God saying, believe the gospel. Believe the, good, the gospel and then act accordingly. Act as if you really believe the gospel. And if that's how you do act, if that's the steps of obedience you take, you're going to look like others to be a risk taker, a daredevil. Because you really believe that there is eternal life waiting for you. That leads me to the final point, following the one who gave it all. Timothy risked his life for the gospel. So did Epaphroditus. The apostle Paul did lose his life for the sake of the gospel. He was executed by beheading on a road just south of Rome, outside the gate of the city. But, you know, they were just following their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who Paul said he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Jesus is the one I want to point you to today. See, I would be doing you a great disservice if I said, look at Timothy, look at Epaphroditus, look at Paul, be like them. Because the reality is, we're not like them very often. The reality is that we often love this world more than we love our Lord. The reality is that we are afraid of death because we're not so sure about this concept of eternal life because we can't see it. and We don't know anyone who's come back from heaven and told us about it. The reality is that every day we break the greatest commandment, which says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And breakers of the greatest commandment, what does that mean? It means that we don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve eternal life. We deserve hell instead. The Bible is very clear about that. But that's why our hope completely lies in Jesus Christ. He took the punishment. He took the hell that we deserve and offered to us heaven. That is the nature of the gospel. And if you put your faith in Jesus, heaven is not something that, like life insurance, someday you can cash in your policy and get to heaven after you die. God is offering something much greater, a relationship with him today. A relationship where you get to know the God of the universe. In a sense, heaven starts the minute you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you might look around and say, this doesn't look like heaven. And you're right, it doesn't. But this is the, the start. It's getting to know our Savior. Getting to know the God who created you. And I want to encourage you, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, to, to do that today. Because he is waiting for you. There's no accident the fact that you came to church today. But I also want to assure you and every one of us that just because you put your faith in Jesus, it doesn't mean that life gets any easier. That uh, was not promised anywhere. Um, in 2016, tens of thousands of Christians throughout the world were killed as martyrs because of their faith. And that doesn't really surprise us 
Jesus told his disciples, indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. So when we see this happening in our world around us, we say, that's terrible, that's, it's awful, and it is. But it's not surprising. Jesus said, that's how it's going to be. And each of these martyrs, however, are simply following the example of Jesus Christ, who himself came to earth and willingly gave up his life at age 33 to give you and I eternal life. Jim Elliott was a famous missionary, and he was reflecting on this short life of Jesus. And he was looking at Psalm 104, and he said, He makes his ministers a flame of fire. Am I ignitable? God deliver me from the dread asbestos of other things. Saturate me with the oil of thy spirit, that I may be a flame. But flame is transient, short-lived. Canst thou bear this, my soul, short life? In me there dwells the spirit of the great short-lived, whose zeal for God's house consumed him. Make me thy fuel, flame of God. Jim Elliot became a martyr in 1956 at age 28, when the tribal people in Ecuador that he was seeking to minister to turned on him and speared him and four of his friends to death. And the question that he's asking is a good one for us, whether you're young or old. Can you bear this, my soul, short life? Or is this life the thing that you and I are clinging to, unwilling to truly follow Christ where he would lead us? So as we close this service today, um, get ready for the final song. I want to call the, the prayer team up call the worship team to start coming forward. I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads and spend some time just thinking about what perhaps God is saying in your own life. So let's bow our heads, and I'm going to ask an occasional question. We'll do this for a couple minutes. If there's anything you would like prayer to pray with someone else about, you can come forward or just stay in your seats and meditate with God. Are there steps of obedience that God is asking you to take that you don't have the courage for? If so, ask him to fill you with courage from above. When you really examine your life, are the things of this world more attractive to you than the things of God? Ask God to help you repent of this and come to him. clinging to your own life and your own ways rather than giving your life and giving your ways to follow Jesus. If so, ask him to give you faith to release your grip and trust him in new ways.
is present in this place. His spirit is moving amongst us. God is speaking to you, don't don't close your ears at this point in time, but listen to what he has to say, and then respond by saying, I am listening, my father, your servant in heaven. Father, you've given us your son that we might have eternal life. And I do pray for anyone here today who does not know this Jesus. Would you call them by your spirit and lead them to pray this with me? Lord Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me for my sin. Be my Savior and Lord. trust in you today. Lord, you have put examples in front of us throughout history who have taken such a grip on eternal life that they risked everything for you in this life. We ask, Lord, that you would lead us to repentance for our love of this world that has dimmed our love for you. And fill us with joy as we follow Jesus. It's his name we pray.